You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and Sexy Irish Sean is here just for looks, and SEO Wizard Rick is doing magic but you can't even see me it's glad to hear your voice again andrew um, i'm glad you escaped uh, your locked up doom from last week and made it out alive and now back on the podcast yeah how do you get out the closet how did you break the ropes how did i break the ropes i convinced a mouse to pour oil on me and it was easy after that people might want to figure out how we got andrew in the closet in the first place we had a, a sign on the wall that said uh, jamie stegmeyer in here <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Stegmeyer fans here. (laughs) On this podcast, we are going to talk about when I go chaotic good and I tell you things that you need to hear, but are not always very nice. And then we're going to switch. I don't know if you all know what that means, but chaotic evil is is like an alignment in uh, Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, RPGs where your character is bad and crazy and uh, chaotic good would be your character is crazy but has good intent the way that i describe how we're going to talk it's going to be maybe a little salty at first and then what we're going to do after we explain a point is we're going to switch into like the good like the lawful good version and say well how can you overcome this or how how can we deal with this sounds just like kettle corn salty then sweet there you go good enough to eat Mm. just like kettle corn where board game marketers are honest Yes, if we weren't honest with the people listening to this podcast, it would be a disservice to them. But first, a little disclaimer. Uh, You know, there are many of our past clients, present clients, future clients listen to our podcast. And some of them came to us and said, hey, I'm so sorry for sending you that one email. I, I don't mean to overstay my welcome and to waste your time. And You are not wasting our time at all. Like we exist so that you can talk to us. I want you to communicate and communication is good. I would much prefer more communication to less. We were talking about something else. Sometimes people will demand service uh, that's outside our expertise, like, you know, logistics services that happened to me uh, the other day. There are certain areas we are experts and other areas that we're not and we can give recommendations, but we can't do these things for you you shouldn't pay us to do logistics services oh, you could always try. Do. <laughs> yeah, i'll try i shipped t-shirts before if if you are one of our clients and you're listening to this and you're concerned that you may have done something wrong or whatever we are not talking about you because the client or rather the this is more of like a uh, an idea not a particular person when i say client i'm doing like huge air quotes right now um, the, the type of client that is the problem client doesn't care at all. So if you do care, then we're not talking about you. The type of client that we're talking about will use us up and until we're like a, it's like a vampire sucking the life out of something until it's just a dry, dead husk. The vampire does not care. That's kind of what we're talking about. It's, instead of thinking, oh, are they talking about me? It's, it's more so what information, what principles can you take from this and, and move forward with it? That could apply to everyone. So this is why we're doing this. It's not because we're trying to call a specific person out. It's because we're trying to really equip board game developers on how to market their games more effectively. Yep. Um, 
the nature of the way that we do business leaves us vulnerable sometimes to people that take more of our time. And it's that way by design. We're not charging more for service so that we can afford to spend more time with the people that take time or anything like that. But I understand that different people have different needs and that can, and expectations as far as communication and all of that. And so we try to be flexible. We really try to be flexible. But I can tell you that if you are a client that, you know, really, really oversteps your bounds, I wouldn't be talking to you on a podcast. I would, I would call you or I would, you know, I mean, I don't even like sending emails to have hard conversations. I like to do it over, if we're half a world away, I do it over Zoom or a uh, at least a phone call because it's important that a client that was you know maybe giving us trouble would hear the inflection in my voice and and maybe even see my body language on zoom and let so that they would know that i care about them i think one of the worst ways to try to issue a um some kind of get some kind of correction would be indirectly on a podcast yeah you know really in in any written form it's a poor a poor way to get a positive result through communication in my opinion it's a way to share information, but not to reconcile problems. And yeah, you know? the reason we're, we've created this podcast is because we actually, we care about the board game industry and we want to equip board game designers and developers to achieve their goals. You know, we you know a lot of people on our team are themselves board game developers, are board, we're all board game players. So this is a space that we, apart from a professional level, we have personal associations and connections with. So we want to help our clients and also people who aren't our clients in achieving their goals through Kickstarter, through crowdfunding and bringing their board games to reality, to the shelf. Yeah. And a lot of times when we turn down services, it's not because the person's product is bad or anything. It's just our services may not be the right fit for where you're at in your progress. You know, for example, we've said before, if you're already in the middle of your Kickstarter, you know, halfway through, we're not the best fit because we actually help build um, your fan base. And it takes a little bit of time to do that. And if there's only like, you know, two or one, two weeks, one week left in your campaign, it's not enough time to build that fan base and convert them into backers. Yeah, there are a lot of factors that we look at before we take a client or or, or turn someone away. And and I I never like to turn somebody away without giving them another string to pull on. When I tell somebody I can't help them, I want to share resources that they need in that moment or another person, you know, that that can. So when we get into it, number one, you wrote number one. So, so <laughs> <laughs> let's let's start with number three. Number three, which is number one, the new number one. Because it's so relevant, I think uh, it's one of the things that people were concerned with that were our clients. And I think, you know, we could probably talk about this for a while. Remember, I'm chaotic evil Andrew now. Chaotic evil. I'm bad guy. Messaging me every day will not make me work harder. Sting. <laughs> the truth hurts. Mask is off. Uh, lawful good, Andrew. So I never, I will never try to, or say anything to a client for messaging me too much. Like I said, commu more communication is much preferred to less communication. Less communication can sometimes be a really bad thing. More communication is never bad. What happens though is sometimes 
people will send thoughts that they've had in an email and it's like one or two lines and then they'll do it again and again and again and again and then five emails in the same day every one of those emails causes me to do is causes me to stop what i'm doing look at the email oftentimes if i were to address every one of those emails as you think them and send them that's going to be five minutes an email you know five minutes to not only read it and respond to it but also get back to what it is that i'm doing assuming it was a short response so what i do is i compartmentalize I don't check my email all the time. I see emails come in and, you know, sometimes they're super critical. It's like, help, my website's down or whatever. I'll, we'll jump on it right away. But a lot of the time when I see emails come in, I'm like, okay, I have emails. When it's time for me to check emails, I'll address all of them at once. So it actually helps quite a lot if you would send me one email with all of your thoughts. It helps me to be a lot more organized and it uh, avoids that issue of, you know, communicating too much. Another way to think of it is if we've scheduled a certain amount of time to work with a, an account, let's say it's, you know, 30 minutes to work on this account during this the time period or something. And if we spend, if you send us a bunch of questions or messages, we will have to spend, let's say 50 minutes working on the account and then the other 15 minutes responding to you, maybe explaining everything we just did in the, the last 15 minutes. So too much communication can have a negative effect, which it slows down the entire process. Communication's good. If it can be limited, then it, then it should be. And you know, a lot of the time when somebody sends thoughts through in that kind of haphazard manner, you know, the one email here, then a Facebook message, then an email, then a Facebook message, then a whatever. It's often because they're in the middle of their Kickstarter campaign and their wheels are spinning hard on, you know, thinking about their game and how they're going to promote and what they're going to do and what can we do better and that kind of thing. That is very natural during a Kickstarter campaign. And we actually, when we, when we take on a Kickstarter uh, client, we kind of plan for that. Our uh, fee actually increases if we're going to do ads during a Kickstarter campaign, because partially because of that reason, because you are focused on it and it is your time to make that money, right? And so we need to be more responsive. We need to factor that we may have multiple communications with you, that you may be spending more money on ads, that you need faster responses because, you know, your campaign is 30 days long and that's it, right? Or whatever it is, you know, 24 days long, you know? And um, so that's, that's one thing that we actually account for. But a lot of the time when somebody's in the midst of Kickstarter and is, uh, I'll just use the, uh, the term, you know, freaking out, the, you know, and they're sending us emails and whatnot, you know, maybe they're asking for ideas or, or looking for uh, report, you know, a quick report on the ads, or they're saying, Hey, I had only this many backers, but I've spent that much money. How, what's the deal? And that kind of thing. It's because they don't have other things to focus on. I, in, in a way it's, it's more like a, I don't know, I'm trying to, trying to find words for this. There are other productive things that you could be doing with your time that you should be focusing on because you might not have a list of those things written down. You're spinning your wheels. A lot of the time, this proper preparation for a Kickstarter campaign, like preparing, you know, what tasks are you going to do? You know, that will help a lot. And you need to include 
time off during that Kickstarter campaign. That is very important. You need to think about, you know, the family. You need to think about hobbies and other things like that. You know, there are some people that will just slave away at their computer for 18 hours a day on uh, like looking at their Kickstarter campaign, refreshing it and, and, you know, responding to every comment right away and that kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with responding to comments right away, refreshing the Kickstarter page, being very responsive there. But you need to put guardrails up for yourself so that you're not going crazy at the end of a 30-day campaign when you haven't set proper boundaries in place for yourself and your own life. You can, I've just seen people be completely leveled, completely leveled into major depression. And uh, that's not even an exaggeration because there's all of this activity and excitement during the Kickstarter and then after the Kickstarter is over, it's almost like playing a video game for the first time or something. Like if you ever played Candy Crush Saga or something like that, it's just like all these lights and bells and whistles. Or like if you've ever played a slot machine at a, con- a casino, it's like, well, this is fantastic on my brain. The juices are flowing. And then you stop and it's like, wow, life is so slow right now. I don't know. I want to go yeah. back in and pull that slot machine again. Yeah. Yeah, like who wants to read a book after, you know, having sensory overload? You know, I think when it comes to what you're saying, Andrew, there's better uses of your time, right? You can sort of look at the counter constantly, like, oh, what's happening here? And, you know, messaging your marketing people. And, but there might be a better use of your time. I think content creators can fall into this as well. They can fall in love with vanity metrics. You know, it's like, how many views, how many followers do I have now? How many likes am I getting? How many shares? When your time, instead of monitoring those things, your time would be better off creating content. Or you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in this case, your time would probably be better off instead of trying to track the results of your marketing, your time's actually better off doing the marketing. Your time would be better off going to Facebook groups, engaging with communities, posting your, your stuff, answering questions. That's That would be a better use of your mm-hmm. time than focusing on the results and, and what's being achieved. Absolutely. And the number one, I guess, lesson in the use the proper use of your time if you're in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign and you're freaking out thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much going on. I need to be at my computer responding to comments and that kind of thing. What can I do to make this better? The number one thing that I always tell people is you need to be focused on what you can do organically. You need a hustle. You need to, number one, you need to turn your backers into your marketing army. And there's a lot that you know, to be said for before a Kickstarter begins, you know, that that process really starts well before the Kickstarter begins. But, you know, you can do that through well-crafted updates. You can do that through excellent comments. You know, if you respond to somebody in, you know, let's say you only have 20 comments a day or less in a given Kickstarter campaign, spend a little more time responding to those people. Put some, uh, some a little extra love and care into your comments. If you've got a hundred comments a day, you're not going to be able to write paragraph or two to every uh, in in response to every person, but that does help put tender love and care into those people. Um, the second thing is you can go and visit Facebook groups, Board Game Geek, other places like that, and you can write uh, things about your stuff that other people will see and read and maybe like. And maybe back and maybe one of those people would be a reviewer or whatever that that would give you buzz. Um, You know, it's you you can 
ask for podcast appearances. You can find, you know, do research and find websites that talk about board games or whatever Kickstarter uh, or whatever product you have. You can find those things. And there, so there are so many ways to leverage your time. But I find that um, a lot of that, it just takes, you know, you separating off of your Kickstarter campaign comment feed and not refreshing and just picking up a pencil and thinking about it, doing research, looking on online to see what other people have done in the midst of their campaign. And by the way, that's also a great thing to do in the midst of your Kickstarter campaign. You can say like, Hey, in a Facebook group, uh, tabletop game, Kickstarter advice or board game design lab, or, you know, our little crowdfunding nerds, uh, group that is small, but, but mighty, um, you you <laughs> you can hey, it's um, good engagement rates relative to the population size so. yeah it's true but yeah you you can ask somebody in one of those communities or you i mean just you can ask the, the whole group like hey i'm in the middle of my kickstarter campaign and i'm not quite sure what to do to drum up business what have you guys done and you will get a lot of answers as a business uh, we actually have a lot of clients and we actually we, we love every single one of our clients but we can't be with every single one of our clients all the time. So our team actually has work queues that they go through with priorities and whatnot, uh, with emergencies always on top, you know, uh, like, you know, Facebook ads aren't working or, or like Andrew said, websites down or something like that. Those get high priority. But then we also have like contracted priorities we have to get done. Um, we also have things that are date and time specific um, that have to be done at that specific time or date where we can't do other clients' work because we have to focus on that. Um, and then there's also like also a lot of uh, minor, not as priority tasks that are also scheduled in there as well. So when we do get uh, constant messages, like Andrew was saying, it does slow us down. And at the same time, it's pulling us off other things that that have a have a have a different priority or a different status that need to get done. But like I said, we do love each and every one of you, and we will get the work done. It's just a matter of us fitting it in and getting it done correctly and at the right time. We could segue into our, from our number three that became our number one into our number one uh, because they're kind of related. Yeah, we've kind of covered this already. I think it, we had a good yeah, segue. But I haven't said it in chaotic evil. Okay, say it in your chaotic evil voice. Okay, <clears throat> hang on. Ads supplement your organic work, but do not serve as a replacement for it. <laughs> That was really scary. That was hard. <laughs> Hi, Batman. I know. This actually uh, applies a lot also with my SEO, SEO. SEO wizard Rick gets this one a lot too. Ads are great. If you need something immediately, there's ads, but they require a lot of money, a good amount of money. And when the money runs out, so do the leads or the backers in this case, as opposed to organic work where you can you can make something, share something, and then people keep going, you know, people come in and out of your of wherever whatever social media or, or things you're using and they'll see it consistently. And so like in cases where we have clients that need something right now, but also want a, you know, something further down the road, we would do like a combination where we start with ads and organic work. That way they get something right away. And then also in the future, they're going to be, we're going to be building up some better traffic and leads for that. As SEO was a Rick, those are my, my, my two, my two pennies on that. Yeah. You know, you can't have a thriving business if the only, you know, not over the long term, if your only way of pulling people in is through paid advertising. And this is more like a philosophy, uh, I'll say this is my philosophy. 
um, I believe that other marketers, some other marketers would might disagree with me that ads should be the foundation of your business. And for some people that are maybe have a little bit uh, too much challenge, uh, I don't know, you know, I maybe you have a hard time dealing with people or whatever, but you know, you, you should really consider organic work, meaning the work that where you spend your time on it and not your money as the foundation for how your business or your board game will really go viral because ads can't make your game go viral. You pay a certain amount, you'll get a certain amount of results based on, you know, how people like your game or whatever. Right. But organic work is like you get one person excited. They might tell 10 people, right. Or if you, you know, I, I was mentioned on, you know, deliverance was mentioned on Liege of games, which is a um, cool review channel as one of their top 10 games to watch out for during quarter two. And uh, that was kind of cool. And it got people excited and I didn't pay for that. It was something that I didn't even uh, solicit and I had no idea it was going to happen until after it happened. That's the type of thing that you want. And that comes from organic work that does not come from ads. You know, ads only bring people to like your page, to sign up for your emails. But the organic work that you do, which is after somebody signs up or maybe even before they've signed up, you are sharing information. You like every email update that you give is information that will turn someone on or off to your product. You know, you should have a, a Facebook group or some sort of community where you where you talk and build that should make more people excited and that's organic work and you know other of course other board game groups and that sort of thing but it's just you know you can't make somebody extremely excited over an ad this might give our listeners some perspective we are a digital marketing agency and we specialize in facebook ads google ads you name it paid advertising but we as a business don't have any paid advertising we don't use paid advertising so then that shows you the importance of organic marketing, the importance of building your business on a reputation, serving people dil diligently. Because we as a marketing agency, we, we're not running currently any paid advertising, bringing in leads to our business. Which leads us on to point number five. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I wish we didn't have to use Facebook, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. It's it's funny because personally, I don't like Facebook and I don't use it, but I, I keep ending up back on it. Just when I was out, they draw me back in. It, well, there were some events my organization was doing and they're only on Facebook. So I hear from someone, oh yeah, did you hear about this? Uh, are you are you going to help out? I'm like, what? So of course I have to sign back into Facebook, reactivate it, and then check. Yeah. But uh, if I didn't have to be, I wouldn't be. Yeah. Facebook is a pain in the neck for a lot of reasons. It's wonderful for a lot of reasons. For me as a marketer, getting all of your information, I can, I mean, I, it's it's crazy the amount of data that I have to say to sort through in order to effectively market products. I wish there was like another competitor that was just as solid. Tell you what, I do not care who it is. Uh, Facebook is the big giant, but if somebody else develops ad uh, an ad platform that's just as effective, I'll use it. I don't care if it's Donald Trump's new social media thing, which I heard some rumor about, um, or if it is Jeff Bezos and his new social media thing. I will leverage that to the max. But what I cannot stand 
is Facebook's customer support. I cannot stand it because as an agency, it's like, hey, I want to spend money and my employee's account is locked and we don't know why. Or you think this pair of dice is a, is an explosive material that I'm trying to sell. Or <laughs> this little orc miniature is a weapon. They also randomly show up. It's like when you need them, you get no response. And then when you're doing something where you don't need them, all of a sudden, oh, hi, this is so-and-so from Facebook. I, I want to help you out. How can I help you spend more money today? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've um, had my fair share of uh, Facebook troubles this week being in and out of Facebook accounts. We usually have secondary Facebook accounts that we, just, we only use for Facebook ads, just in case something ever happens to our primary account, we can still log in and manage our clients' ads. But what happened to me this week is that both of my accounts got compromised, so I had to make a third account. And there's no way of really contacting Facebook in a meaningful way. It can be very frustrating when you're sort of in this no man's land waiting for Facebook to get back to you. And oftentimes the person you've contacted can't actually help you with your request and you know it's moving it up the ladder. <laughs> yeah. I think the real issue is is these larger companies are under so much pressure that they have to put these filters in and they put them in hastily and they'll trigger on almost anything. And then of course once it triggers, it locks, you know, the account out or you know removes the post or whatever. And then they only have so many people in their agency that can actually review these things. So then you get you gets triggered on you. You're out, and then you have to wait for someone to actually manually look at it, which can take weeks. Um, in fact, I think someone had their account uh, that I that I, if I recall correctly, it was a friend who their account was out for three weeks, just waiting. Mm -hmm. Like they the the system automatically uh, shut shut them out. It was over. I think it was over also over an ad as well. And the ad, you know, the ad was fine. It wasn't anything that broke any rules whatsoever. But something triggered it. Um, in fact, we were laughing in last week's episode about the. Uh, the, the grazing cow that uh, got uh, got got barred from Facebook <laughs> for being I think uh, I think it was it was too por pornographic I think is what the the ban was <laughs> for the yeah. cow grazing the field so yeah. and then yeah so it's 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 at the point where I mean I I don't want to sound political or anything but it's we're at a point where it's like these these organizations have to be so trigger happy to appease everyone. Um, because they don't want to have something, you know, just get through, and then all of a sudden now they're they're the target. They're doing more than they should to block what they think is right, and then of course now all these people who are blocked, uh, you know, not legitimately, are 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 suffering. Right, and it's tough because they're you know actually there is a program by the way for agencies that get elevated customer support. The challenge is that you have to be a relatively large agency. So you have to spend $5 million a month in ads through your agency account, um, you know, or the, the accounts connected to your agency in order to get that service. And we don't. So shoot. <laughs> or, or have five, over 500 active uh, current customers and that kind of thing, you know. I feel like we'll get there one day, but it's just frustrating being you know, the small fry, you know, the relative small fry. I mean, you know, you've got companies like Coca-Cola that account for a huge percentage of Facebook's monthly revenue, you know, from ads. And, you know, so of course they would have probably a dedicated account representative or maybe a team of account representatives that uh, would serve them. But it's, it's just kind of a bummer that we don't, we don't have that 
on our side. You know, with Google, you do. So when you use Google ads, you actually have a rep that can help you, that can log into your account and see what's going on and, and, and that sort of thing. But Facebook, they specifically protect those people. The, uh, they protect the in, quote unquote internal team that manually reviews stuff and says, oh, that miniature is not sexualized. It is. It's a figurine. I mean, it's not a weapon. Yeah, it's a figurine, right? So it's holding a gun. That may, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with full armor on and it's not bikini armor. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that it's a little frustrating. And, you know, what will happen is a Facebook, if you use Facebook support, they will tell you like, oh, yes, I see that this is the problem. Well, decision has been made and it is final. It's like one time I was banned from Facebook on my personal account. So I wasn't able to advertise. And it was because of something that I did while advertising. I had a client, actually a really awesome client. His name's Marco and he runs um, Raybox Games company called Legions of Steel. And I think they even have a Kickstarter coming out soon for like alien uh, sci-fi minis. And um, when they did their, when we did their first Kickstarter that they've ever done, like the reboot of their classic uh, Legion of Steel uh, line, I was blocked because I advocated for a terrorist organization. I spoke positively about a terrorist organization and they wouldn't tell me who it was. They wouldn't tell me what I said or what I did, but they, they, would, they, they did make it clear that it was because of what I did in the ads account. So the business manager was blocked. I was personally unable to edit ads. I was able to you know, post on my personal Facebook account and interact in groups and stuff like that. But it was, it ended up being because there is a cyber terrorist group named Legion that is like a hacker group. And that's what they thought I was advocating. However, Legions of Steel is a board game, you know, a tabletop war game. And I didn't have any recourse. The, the thing is that when you get blocked like that, they're still charging your account, right? You can't actually turn off the ads. They're still running. Yeah. Yeah, I had like 12 accounts that were all, you know, getting charged and it lasted about 48 hours. I was able to find a way around this uh, 48 hours later. But for those two days, I couldn't do any A-B testing. I couldn't access the account. I was the only admin on the account and so on and so forth. And from that moment on, I learned the value of redundancy. So all of my team has multiple accounts to access a next level web. I actually have my backup is my wife's Facebook account, which she deactivated. So if ever I have a problem, I will just reactivate hers and be able to, to get in no problem. We even have a backup business manager for, uh, you know, if, if the next level web account gets blocked or whatever for a temporary reason, I even recommend, in fact, we did recommend this to a client of ours recently that does a ton of ads and has a bunch of intellectual property. If you're a larger company, you absolutely need to have a redundant second account that you can use when your first account gets uh, blocked. You know, um, one thing that I did because I, I one of my accounts I was running ads for a personal project. So when I got blocked, the same thing happened to me. I was still being charged every day, even though I couldn't edit the ads, which is very frustrating when you see these invoices coming into your inbox and you're spending this money and you have no way of tweaking the ads. But I was paying through the ads through PayPal. So what I did was then I contacted PayPal and said, well, look, Facebook is no longer providing the service to me that they offered. I, I'm no longer able to you know, tweak the ads, stop the payments. And the next day I my, my account was, I could access my account again. So. <laughs> 
I don't know if that PayPal is one of those big agencies that's able to uh, throw their weight around a little bit. And I think once you start threatening the, the, the cash flow, I think you might get, be able to move things faster. So that might be a strategy to employ if you're concerned about being blocked on Facebook is to pay through PayPal. It does make it more expensive, obviously, because you're paying for PayPal fees, but you have that ability to stop the payment if you do get locked out of your account. And it might be something that I, I do always just run personal ads, just even if it's 20 cents a day, so that I have that ability to threaten <laughs> the end of payment. <laughs> yeah. Now let's get into number, well, number four is really depressing. Yeah, my hit too close to home as well. You, uh, Some you got number two and number four left. Okay. <laughs> Choose right. your destiny. Let's get into number four because Ugh. it's the worst. This one stinks. It's the one that hits in the feels. Yeah, so, it does. Um, this just hurts my feelings too. Yeah. So I am going to say it. <clears throat> Sometimes the market isn't all that excited about your game. Sometimes the cost is high because people don't like your game. <laughs> that started to hurt my throat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the the reality is that when your ads cost a lot, your your CPA, your cost per acquisition, the cost that it takes to you know you spend in ads in order to get a single email address. We aim for you know, two bucks to really, it's like $2 to $4 is what we consider acceptable, but we're getting results for as low as like 30 cents per email subscribe on, on one of our accounts right now. And the, sometimes the market is trying to tell you something if you're not getting emails for a good price. And I stress the word sometimes there are a lot of factors that can result in uh, maybe not getting an effective cost per customer acquisition. But one of them that you have to consider is that your game's not ready or that people don't like it or that they aren't excited about it. And there's, it's not like you're at a dead end if that's the case. I want to stress that the market decides what succeeds and what fails. That's basically a capitalistic model. We decide based on what I want to spend money on if it is going to succeed or fail. And if I don't like it, I'll let you know by not buying it, right? <laughs> or, or whatever it is, right? And, and you know, just as a, a customer, not me personally, but just speaking broadly about customers and the way they behave. And one of the reasons that they may not back is because the game just isn't as good as another. And uh, the that's a, a hard thing to hear as a game designer. But as a game designer, you need to be comfortable with hard news like that. I remember, you know, Deliverance has been a, you know, five-year journey. And by the time it hits Kickstarter, it will have been like five years and eight days. <laughs> it's crazy. And uh, so um, there oh, were... some of your kids. Yeah. It's like my third child. And I have six. So I guess including Deliverance, seven children. It's It's like older than the middle child. And um, whose birthday is tomorrow? But oh, uh, happy birthday, middle child. Yes. With so many with so many kids, he's got like birthdays every day. I know every almost every month. I remember the first time I took Deliverance to um, an event. Rick, you and I were at uh, Kingdom Con San Diego, and we did this unpub event, and was I was really excited. Event. I like right? that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun one. We, uh, I, I actually no, 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 it was the year before. 
before I got involved in actually running the thing. Uh, I was by myself and it was like a paper cardboard game. And this one guy sat down and he was like, all right, what am I doing? And I'm like, you're an epic angel slaying demons. And he's like, wow, that sounds great. And I remember he he's like, all right, uh, I want to use this ability fireball. I'm like, okay, you deal one damage. He's like one damage. That sucks. And he didn't sign up for my email list. <laughs> There's a lot that, that kind of went into him not getting very excited about the game that he was playing. And that was just a reality. I, I wanted it to feel like angels fighting demons and this epic spiritual warfare battle. And it felt like math moving cubes and rolling dice and adding numbers. It's like, it just didn't feel like it should have. And if I brought, let's say I did all the graphic design and art and everything like that. And I brought that version of the game to Kickstarter. I mean, we could find 300 backers for almost anything, but I would have found all of the people that were willing to give it a try. And that's it. You know, I, I wanted my game to be loved, right? And it wasn't ready. So um, one of the keys in this is, and I'll probably say something that you know I'm going to say already and that you know you should be doing but may not be for one reason or another. And I completely resonate with all of those reasons. You need to play test your game publicly. You need to get feedback from people who don't have a stake in the game that will say, this game sucks. I hate it. And they have no idea the designer is standing two feet away, right? Listening like a wallflower. They need to be comfortable saying exactly what they think about your product, because this is your market testing and it's an essential component of the process to bring a thing to Kickstarter. If you if you assume that people will love it because you are in love with it, there's nobody that loves any one of my babies more than me. And there are a whole lot of people that love my babies less than me. So if I, you know, if I uh, show um, home movies of my kids to you guys, I mean, there will be a point where you get extremely bored and just don't even care. So um, I need to show you guys the good ones. Right. And I need to do some market research to figure out which is which so that we can make $10,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> There's also a couple other factors involved, too, in that, that I've seen. It could be too, too niche or in America, we say niche uh, of a of a like like a uh, what do you call it? A theme of a product, yeah. of, of, for your product um, or it's a very, very small market or it could be like your theme could be something where there is no market yet. For example, let's just say I'm going to make a game, a board game about uh, uh, managing your diabetes. You know, it might be the greatest game in the world, but I don't think there's a market for it. And that's going to also, uh, you know, be an issue when it's time to uh, take it to, to Kickstarter. Sometimes it's your messaging. You know, sometimes it's just trying to work out, okay, maybe there is something here, but trying to figure out, what's going to actually move the needle? Like, let's say your game is about, if you take Deliverance, for example, I don't know, let's say, you know, Deliverance is a, a demon versus angel game, but there's also an element where you have to protect saints, right? So maybe if we focus the, the marketing or the messaging of Deliverance about the protecting the saints, that might not move the needle as much as the angels versus demons element, which is probably a bit more exciting or a bit more mm -hmm. marketable than the other element of your game. So sometimes it's just trying to think of that offer and how to word it or present it in such a way that's really going to resonate with the people you're trying to reach. And another right. solution is that is to define, like like, uh, like Sean was saying, 
um, is to find many different angles to your game. Just just like a social media, there's so many different channels to communicate to people. Your game also may communicate to people differently as well. So someone may like the the idea of you know protecting, where someone else might just want to hack and slash. So you'll 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 when you when you're not sure and you have a new game, you you, you definitely want to do a lot of uh, A/B testing to see if any of those categories are a big hit or not. Um, you know, for example, like Sean said, I'm I'm gonna agree with him. Hack and slash is usually pretty big. But also, like 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 he was saying, you know, maybe but maybe saving the saint might be a, a thing. So you want to test that out to see if that draws in any people. And if it does, great, we can keep going on the ad on that as well. And you can run two different ads uh, for two different segments. Um, if it doesn't, you you check out your other segments. Because um, there's, there's like like I was saying, there's just not one thing that will bring someone to a game. Some people like games just just for the theme. Some people like games for the actual, um, what do you call it? Uh, mechanical game. Mechan- play. Thank you. Mechanic, mechanical play. They're like, I want a game that is this, this, and this. Like a deck I don't care. I don't has, care what it is. If it's managing diabetes yeah. or I'm going to go for it. <laughs> if it has clever card play, hand management and set collection. Yeah. So I mean, um, in fact, uh, a lot of people like, especially Andrew, like um, deck building. I'm not a fan of deck building, but Andrew is. And so, you know, if he's a fan of deck building and you have an, and it's a deck building game and you, you have an ad that's, that's specifically looking for people who like deck building, that may work out. I click on those like, and, and hit that remind me button so fast. Okay. Number two, it's the last one. Number two is number five. And I can't, I can't guys, I can't do the Darth Vader. Do it. Do it. Evil voice. I'll just say this. Okay. This is chaotic and evil Andrew, but I'm juiced out. Okay, so this relates to when you launch a Kickstarter and people contact you and say, you should pay us money for this service. Don't pay them. Wisdom is required when dealing with vendors. And the foundation of wisdom is this. If someone solicits you and tells you why you should pay them to do a thing, don't pay them. You ask someone for a recommendation first. In this industry, there are a ton of people that can give recommendations based on positive firsthand experiences. And you can trust, as long as you trust the person that's referring, it's just a better a better route to go than biting into somebody's scheme to scam you out of a hundred bucks for exposure for a hundred thousand or to a hundred thousand people. And none of them are going to back. The people who've been through a Kickstarter campaign before that are listening to this podcast right now know what I'm talking about. It is very common when, especially if your game is popular, that you'll get people saying, oh, I should expose you to my list of 300,000 people and uh, you should pay me for that. But there's no proof that they have a list. There's no uh, proof that the list will open your email and you know, that kind of thing. It's just, you should have all of those relationships ahead of your Kickstarter. If you don't have a trustworthy referral and you really need a service, you can always Google it and uh, you know, vet the people that you find, you know, like if you Google board game, uh, Kickstarter marketing or whatever you you'll find us on Google and you can look at our reviews and our client testimonials and our results and that kind of thing before you call. But if I were to spend the time soliciting Kickstarters and say, Hey, we could get you lots of more traffic. You will probably, you should mistrust that chaotic evil. Andrew is upset when people blow money. And this is true. Also in SEO, there's a lot of people out there offering like free cheap like big traffic no no there's um, a lot of lot of self-proclaimed seo experts 
and yep. they have a tendency to email us every day. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah we're I gonna, couldn't find your website on Google. It's for like, $50, we're going to send your you. website to 10,000 people. <laughs> yeah, 10,000 people who probably aren't in the U.S., um, who may be uh, AI robots oh. yeah. <laughs> pretending to be people. It's just not targeted. Like Sean was saying, we get all these emails, and they're just so funny. I always like to read them. In fact, my favorite one is the one I just recently got that says, Hi, insert name here. They didn't even care about putting my name in or not. I mean, if you, even if you didn't have my name, you could have just got rid of the insert name here part. Just said hi, but uh, no, it was pretty funny. So I didn't even respond to that one. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. But there's this service where if you get one of those spam emails into your your email, it's cl- it's clearly spam. It's clearly a, a scammer trying to you know solicit some type of information and scam you of your money. You could forward their email to this this website which then connects it to an artificial intelligence, which mimics a real human being. And it basically will waste the time with a scammer, you know, asking for clarifications and basically wasting their time, uh, which is a really interesting service. I'll I'll include in the show notes. Can't remember what it it is off the top of my my head, but it's just a really interesting concept. So, uh, yeah. Sean Sean finds a lot of interesting services. Oh, it's called rescam.org. Before we conclude, is there anything else that you guys want to mention tough love you know sometimes some of these things might be hard to hear but a part of being in the board game space in the board game industry is to hear honest feedback about your games things you might not want to hear but it really comes from a good place people are are trying to help you and i suppose that's that's all part of the process it's to understand that uh, these things Mm -hmm. might be a little bit frustrating to hear but their goal isn't to be frustrating it is to bring about a positive change in your life if the the wisdom that is in, in the things that we're saying is actually applied so that's just to keep those things in mind right it's it's really easy you know the board game industry is quite a positive place overall people there's a lot of uh of effort placed on positivity you know i mean if you're in a board game group and you throw shade on monopoly you're gonna get <laughs> shredded you know the 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 truth is for us you know we see the dark underbelly of the world in this little corner of our you know world which is marketing for board games and there's a lot of negative results that happen here because of you know some of these um some of these things that we talked about and i think the most positive thing i could do for anybody listening is tell them what those things are and tell them how to avoid or do better or overcome them or, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what we're here to do. You know, the Bible says, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend and we're trying to be your friend. I'm not sure if I want to be wounded. <laughs> it's like a surgeon, you know, he's got to cut you open to help you. Yes. It hurts, but it's, it's a good thing. Anyway, I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for, uh, more great information, articles, resources, and to view or sorry, listen to our previous podcasts, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you're an SEO expert, make sure to reach out to us. <laughs> <laughs> if you got a question about crowdfunding or about your specific product or service or anything like that, as long as you're not the guy that's trying to sell us free traffic for or give us free traffic for like $10 for a million people. Uh, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. Put your question in there. We'll review it and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And if it's a great, great question, we'll include it in a future podcast. 
So for all of you out there, stay nerdy, work on those games, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Keep it noted. <laughs>